Yeah, thanks again, Axel. And uh, you're absolutely right. This is kind of like a part of the field that we were involved in, but not necessarily we had a lot of uh, opportunity to talk about anything because very limited data coming forward. Uh, anyway, I'll start by discussing what the diseases and the new perception on the biliary cancers. We'll talk about chemotherapy, target biologic therapies, and of course, if any role for checkpoint inhibitors. In regard to the disease itself, as you recall, historically and even till today, the um, way we delineated diseases is totally uh, anatomical. It's either the liver, intrahepatic cholangic carcinoma. In the ducts outside the liver, extrahepatic cholangic carcinoma. Of course, in the gallbladder, gallbladder cancer. Nowadays, I think the delineation probably still apply, but more importantly, however, the genetic makeup of the tumor it clearly is differentiating them per se. And uh, as such, uh, uh, for example, and this might be in the practical you know, in your clinic, you're going to see that situation. Let's say you get an extra hepatic carcinoma as delineated as such, but right at the edge, but it has, for example, an IDH1 mutation. Would I sweat and say, no, this is not intrahepatic? Of course not. This is clearly a continuum of the same thing, and as such, the genetics is going to make a lot of difference and a lot of applicability in regard to what the diseases are. With this said, uh, I'll jump on to chemotherapy only because this is where things started, and I'll go back to the uh, more detailed discussion of the biology and target the biological drugs. And we all know that uh, the nice work that was reported by, Dr. by our colleague, Dr. Fali, from uh, the UK in the ABC02 study, uh, if anything, showed that gemcibians plus cis platin has an improvement in outcome compared to gemcitabine with a survival, as you can see, at 11.7 months versus 8.1 for the gemcitabine. That led kind of to the acceptance. I wouldn't say approval because there was no approval to be done because these were drugs already are in the market, uh, a, even in generic forms. And as such, it's not like there was any approval weighted. But and we all kind of accepted that gemcitabine cisplatin become the standard of care therapy for biliary cancer across the board without any delineation or differentiation regard between extra, intrahepatic, or bladder cancer. It's just kind of, you know, one size fits all. Another important component of the ABC02, it showed also an improvement in regard to progression-free survival, as you can see over eight months for the gemcitabine cisplatin versus five months for the gemcitabine. Now, this uh, component, even though it's positive and we like to see it as well, it carries a little bit of uh, an important interpretation that, again, we're going to see a little bit in practical world over here because uh, in the UK, the way uh, the uh, practice uh, uh, of oncology goes, uh, not necessarily only for biliary cancers, but uh, in general here in the US, we scan every about two months or so, give and take. Over there, they scan a little bit longer time, i.e. about three months or so. And as you can imagine, when you're measuring PFS, if you can't see it on camera, it didn't happen because PFS will depend a lot on the CAT scan. And as such, if you're taking a longer time between CAT scans, by definition, your PFS is going to go longer than it's supposed to be. So this is an important technical part, and many of us who are involved in the development of research for the uh, disease, um, having the reference being ABC02 will bring a little bit of a, uh, a perplexity in regard to what is really the true PFS of uh, the uh, gemcitabine plus cisplatin. 
Nonetheless, we'll pause on that question and we'll carry on. Uh, nice, uh, nice work that's relatively newer that was just reported in JAMA Oncology uh, a few months ago by Dr. Ashna Shraf, uh, uh, if anything, on gemsibine, cisplatin, and napaclitaxel. Uh, the combination appears to be in this phase two trial rather intriguing with, as we can see here, quite a bit of a response, which uh, nice to see on the waterfall plot. And of course, within the context of a phase two trial, uh, the PFS was 11.8 months, and uh, the uh, overall survival was 19.2 months. And of course, here, with all bells and whistles, we cannot really comment on a phase two trial in regard to the outcomes because uh, this is kind of like, you know, the uh, test phase uh, within a very highly select population. It's not really thrown in yet into a phase three trial in the real world to really understand better what uh, what's going on. Nonetheless, that data actually led to an agreement uh, uh, for the uh, uh, study to move forward to a phase three trial, forgive me, uh, to a phase three trial. And uh, this is... Uh, 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 I, I'm proudly and humbly I'm happy to say that uh, under my direction as chair of the Habitability Task Force for the NCI we approved that uh, and it went to the GI steering committee which is uh, co-led by uh, Dr. Grothy and it was approved to move on so currently there's a clinical trial of GEMSYS, NAPAC-Texel versus GEMSYS which available and open at multiple sites and if you are part of a cooperative group even if you are in community but you are part of a, um, a certain cooperative group by all means we encourage you to open that study and uh, try to help uh, continue their role on it and see where it takes us. Now, uh, with this said, uh, another piece of news that we all heard at ASCO this year is the ABC06 study, which is actually a second-line treatment of uh, Fulfox um, in, uh, in patients with biliary cancers. And uh, if anything, it was a positive study. It was reported by Dr. Lamarca, 6.2-month uh, uh, for the um, uh, Fulfox versus uh, Bessapotecarol alone for the second arm, 5.3 month. Uh, if anything, uh, uh, there was one delineation of the study that really showed a further outcome based on platinum sensitivity and uh, resistance and refractory. And uh, these were kind of like man-made definitions. It's not like we really uh, we, we necessarily we will use them or interpret them the same way. But by definition, uh, please do remember that patients on the ABC02, and this is the standard, especially in the UK, we don't use that standard over here in general. Patients take only six months of therapy on the ABC02, regardless of the outcome, even if they're doing great, will stop therapy. And these are technically the platinum-sensitive patients who did great on the ABC02 and now they need second line per se. On the other hand, the platinum resistant patients are the one actually who are to progress while on therapy on, AB, on the GEMSYS, and the platinum refractory are the ones that uh, actually will uh, progress within three months after the discontinuation of the GEMSYS. Uh, regardless of the definitions, at the, at the bottom it shows that it, regardless of which patients we're talking about, uh, the outcome is positive, and if anything, it shows the value of the uh, Folfox therapy in that regard. However, very important point here to delineate, and to be fair, this was not yet brought up by, the, um, by Dr. Lamarca herself or by her colleagues, and we're waiting for the manuscript to see how this is going to delineate itself, but... Uh, 
Is the Folfox therapy nothing more just a continuation of the GEMSYS, for example, that we already give in the U.S. until progression or intolerance, i.e. it's not like but a continuation of the platinum compounds. Really, we don't have that delineation yet clear, even though, interestingly, the platinum sensitive suggests that in that regard because we have the GEMSYS sensitivity followed by the Folfox afterwards that shows relatively a better improved outcome compared to if they were resistant or refractory. We'll uh, leave that debate uh, for now. And uh, by the way, another component before I carry on to the targeted is like, ultimately, will there be a difference between the different delineated diseases, as we just mentioned, extrahepatic, intrahepatic, gallbladder regard to the chemotherapy, or is it going to be like one size fits all? Interestingly, this does probably remain a question regard to the chemotherapy arena, but when it comes to the targeted therapies, it's probably better delineated, if at all, probably almost all delineated. This is one example of work that we have done at Sloan Kettering, but there's plenty of other great examples from different groups that looked into the different genetic mutations that we can see with those diseases. And if anything, we brought up in our work the what we call the mutual exclusivity of genetic alterations, i.e., for example, if a intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma is a IDH1 mutation, cannot have FGFR2 mutation or a fusion, or vice versa. If it's an FGFR2, it won't get an IDH1. So there's a certain mutual exclusivity that we're trying to understand better as we learn and move forward with the disease. Now, another important component, this is very important, especially for patients. Who are those patients? They are really the minimum number of patients. At best, we can say that maybe about maximum 15% of the patients might have a mutation of an IDH1, and there's a variation of up and down this number, like vary between 13, even up to 20 sometimes. And on the other hand, in regard to the FGFR2, again, it varies, but the fusion is kind of like ranging in the about 5%, even though there have been numbers higher than that, about 10% per se. With this said, uh, what's IDH1? So we all have IDH1, and if anything, uh, if it's mutated, it will kind of like take a little bit of a side uh, road, uh, moving things into two hydroxyglutarate, which is actually an oncogenic uh, uh, driver, and as such, the tumors will start to grow and uh, replicate without any limitation per se. So this has been actually uh, quite intriguing. A uh, lot of focus was in the beginning on uh, uh, GBM. Uh, however, uh, we kind of like uh, at Sloan Kettering, we kind of uh, knew the potential value for an IDH1 mutation, and uh, we kind of, you know, joined in with the uh, neurolo neurology group on their own study, um, and then we kind of expanded further the work into a cholangiocarcinoma uh, larger cohort. As you can see, this was uh, reported again earlier this year. Um, uh, I should update the reference because now it's in the Lancet Hepatology Oncology, uh, sorry, Gastroenterology, Hepatology Gastroenterology Lancet, and uh, it shows clearly that uh, there are certain robust responses in regard to the therapy. Uh, ironically, um, uh, this kind of carried on to a phase three trial. This happened actually here in Chicago 
kind of like while we were at ESCO, I made an argument to, um, to the sponsor that we need to push into a phase three trial, which probably we did. And if anything, it's a randomized phase three trial of patients to get uh, in second line the AG120, which is now uh, has a generic name, Ivozidinib, um, versus placebo, uh, but with a allowed crossover that was kind of argued why patients have mutation, why not to give them a chance for the drug. Anyway, the trial, all what I can tell you is exactly what was officially reported already in a press release from the sponsor. It says that the announced randomized phase three trial of the Ivozidinib demonstrated statistically significant improvement in progression-free survival compared to placebo, which is, of course, the, second, the primary endpoint. The study was designed with 96% power to detect hazard ratio of 0.5 PFS with one-sided alpha of 0.025. And the full analysis will be presented. I proudly will present that at ESMO in the presidential symposium on Monday, the September 30. So we'll just have to wait until then, and we'll hear more about the uh, data. With this said, uh, another target which is really of value is FGFR2 that happened in different fusions. Nonetheless, uh, there's a lot of intrigue and interest in regard to the FGFR gene fusion and potential targets. And one of the best quoted uh, uh, reference is the one that our colleague, uh, Dr. Javli from MD Anderson, that we were all part of uh, as a multi-cooperative uh, uh, effort uh, with different institution. As you can see here, it shows that BGG398 actually shows an impressive uh, response and, of course, suggestion that maybe we should carry on further with that. Interestingly, and this is an important, nice piece that was uh, written by our colleague, uh, Dr. Goyal from MGH, about uh, what happens for patients if they were to really uh, stop responding to an FGFR2. And I'm putting this work specifically here because it's applicable to BGG398. These patients were treated with BGG398, and they did a nice piece of work, which really uh, we give them a lot of credit for. Um, actually, as patient, uh, quote-unquote, progressed, or even, let's say, sadly, they passed away, they did actually stat autopsies on patients, and they took like snippets of drug, uh, disease uh, tissue uh, from the liver at different sites, and if anything, they found that the alteration of the genetics do occur, and if anything, the uh, V564F will alter into other mutations, and maybe it will be the one that's driving the whole component as being like probably at the driver or gatekeeper mutation. Uh, if anything, at the moment... Uh, uh, Lipica, and uh, with the help of a mathematician, and uh, uh, probably uh, uh, agreed to kind of what I suggested, that probably there is a certain mathematical chaotic phenomenon happening over here that we need to delineate further. So this is work uh, that's ongoing as we speak, per se. With this said, however, the landscape for the FGF, as I mentioned, is really pretty broad. We have the BGJ398, we have the INSIGHT 54828, we have the TES120, we all know about it, and there was an argument that because it's not reversible, it might be a little bit more potent. We have the RQL ARQ087, we have the DB1347. At least two of them uh, were mostly, many of us are involved in. I think Dr. Bikaisab is leading on the INSIGHT, and Dr. Javli and myself were leading on the BGJ in phase 3 
trial uh, in the first-line setting uh, with chemotherapy. And in addition to that, many others are moving into different directions. Some of the sponsors are favoring going at a target specific for a specific uh, mutational change or for a certain line of therapy, while others are taking a little bit of a broader perspective or, or, or a, a value of even treating patients with that mutation with the presumption that it might occur at some point in time. So we just have to wait uh, to see where this uh, rather very busy field at the moment without a clear answer will take us and take it from there. Uh, with this said, uh, checkpoint inhibitors, yes, uh, they were in the uh, discussion as well, and uh, at least they were looked at. This is nice work from Dr. Bank from uh, Seoul, Korea, that looked into the pembrolizumab in patients with bile duct cancer. And if anything, uh, it's remained a very limited um, uh, cohort of patients. As we can see over here, uh, mainly bilirubin tract um, uh, and less for gallbladder. And uh, if anything, the data, again, Again, similar to what we have seen with other checkpoint inhibitors, showing a response rate in the 17% range. But remember, please, within the context of a limited uh, phase 1b study. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there is a certain intriguing point about if this is to be carried further. At this point in time, uh, some of the approaches being considered is same like in HCC is a combination therapy, uh, quote-unquote, with either chemotherapeutic agent or one of those new uh, targeted agents that we just spoke about, uh, targeting one of the mutations like IDH1 or FGFR2, but also another effort that uh, we have at least uh, done uh, in in a uh, uh, early uh, look uh, uh, preemptively uh, at Memorial is to use the abscopal effect that actually our group uh, have described beforehand uh, and uh, try to see if a radiation approach followed by Pembro will be, or Nevo, or your choice of an NTPD1 will be valuable in regard to intrahepatic carcinoma. So it's nice to see at least that we have a lot of interest in that regard. One more thing I'd like to comment on, which I don't have slides on, is uh, 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 let, me, let me comment first on the MSI high. This was just put in here just as a reminder that we all agree that we do the MSI high uh, uh, approach uh, treatment with uh, checkpoint inhibitors. The chance, by the way, for patients with uh, a, a biliary tumor slash carcinoma to have an MSI high is probably about 4% at best. Nonetheless, it could be one of the reasons you can get the uh, argument to get the genetic analyses that, of course, will open the door for other mutations per se. With this said, uh, to go back to mutations, uh, another thing which is uh, very early in the game but something to keep focus on is HER2, especially in gallbladder cancer. And at the moment, there's kind of um, uh, quite a bit in of interest in regard to treating patients with a, uh, a anti-HER2 uh, if they had gallbladder cancer and the mutation. Uh, very early in the game, but nonetheless, I'm sure we'll see clinical trials coming up in that regard. With this said, uh, I conclude that uh, gemcibine cisplatin uh, versus gemcibine improves survival and remains the standard of care and the default, despite the limitation that I kind of brought up. Gemcibine cisplatin NAPEC taxes is under evaluation. Again, please, I urge you to make sure that if you are access, have access to the trial or your interest, please, to open that study. Uh, Folfox, as a possible second-line treatment, I would say there's quite a bit of questions still need to be answered. We'll wait for the manuscript and see if any further delineation of that 
that will be applicable. Uh, if anything, uh, the bundling of the biliary cancer, I think we are coming to an agreement that is not valid anymore, especially when it comes to the genetic mutations. And the, I the IDH1, as I mentioned, has a positive outcome results. We are still embargoed and will present this in a few weeks in Barcelona. The anti-FGFR offer potential therapeutic options, and we have many of the clinical trials that are ongoing or planned, and we'll wait to see those. And of course, immunotherapy work, as I mentioned, is underway from different perspectives, a single agent combination or even with different approaches. So I'll pause here. Thank you very much for listening.